So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, uh, find the book of Esther. As you've seen some things, maybe online, sort of the preview of, uh, of things to come, the book of Esther. Now there's a problem some of you may see with our first slide, and I'm so happy to have my screens back. <laughs> we can follow along, y'all can stay awake, but I will miss the honking of the horns. I will miss the honking of the horns. Don't get smart out there either. <laughs> God, read that to me. <laughs> About 50-50. I was in charge of Remember the old church signs that had the letters and you went out and you opened up the thing and you pulled the letters off and you had a box with all the letters in it and you put all the letters in there and you, it's the marquee sign out there that you always had to fill. Um, I was in charge of doing that for a time. Uh, some of you know my personality. You know that was probably short-lived. But I tended to put some things up there that were kind of funny and maybe a little bit controversial at times. None other, no, no other time did I put something in that sign that got the biggest reaction when I put this on that sign. Not the Esther part, just God is and that word. So much so that someone wrote the pastor of that church, dropped a note in the door of the church that said how offensive this was. How offensive that we would... We would think we have the corner marketed, the market cornered on God, and, and God is nowhere. How can you say God is nowhere? But what the sign said was, God is nowhere. It was spaced out enough. There was no, it said, now read it again. God is now here. And it was spaced out enough on the sign that I thought it was cute and catchy, and a lot of times what like my mom used to say, and she's probably watching this morning, and what my wife occasionally says to me and others have said in the past, you're not as funny as you think you are. I think actually the phrase is, people don't think you're as funny as you think you are. I, it was my attempt at a little bit of a catchy sign so it would get people at the traffic light to look over. But God is nowhere, but God is now here. And the, the reason that speaks to the book of Esther is because the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. Some of you may know that. Never mentions his name or even refers to him, but his fingerprints are all over the book of Esther. Let's look at God's word. If you have the book of Esther opened up, say amen. All right, it'll be on the screen too. We're going to start in chapter 2 and then kind of go back. So start in chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Later, and I want, to, I want you to get familiar with this book and what it, what's in there and what the names, who the names are in this book and, and learn a little bit about it. So we'll get these names on our lips this morning. It says, Later when King Xerxes, everybody say Xerxes, fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decided about her. And then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. And let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm 
to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem of the citadel, at the citadel of Susa and let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Interesting. Then let the young woman who pleases the king to be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Verse 5. Now there was in the city of, in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai. Everybody say Mordecai. Mordecai, son of Geir, the son of Shami, the son of Kish. Verse 6. Who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Again, Bible names, good baby names are found in the Bible. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. Important fact. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, everyone say Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. So Esther was an orphan girl. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women who were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also, also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. I want to I want to preach this morning for a few moments our first Sunday back in the sanctuary in three months. I want to preach from this thought that God is now here. God is now here. This series based on the book of Esther, you've come on a good day, right? Because the church is back open. We've all come expecting and we're kicking off a few weeks of this series today. And if you're unfamiliar with the book of Esther, uh, if you've never heard her story, I'm telling you, this is, this is a true Cinderella story, as it would be put. You might have, ha- might have seen some good movies during quarantine. Anybody, anybody subscribed to any of those services and you've spent some time watching some movies during quarantine. But not a single one of these movies would even come close to comparing with the story of our girl Esther. I wish that the writers over at Disney would start to read the Bible. Because there's not a shortage of content or a shortage of, 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 of stories in the Bible. There's simply a shortage of, of artists who are willing to tell the world's greatest stories that are still yet to be shared. This story has it all. It really does. It's a, it's a true rags-to-riches saga. A Jewish orphan girl who actually gets promoted to being queen of a superpower, who saves her life, but not just her own life, her, saves her people's lives. I'm telling you, I mean, the story is not lacking in any suspense, in any drama, in any, any wonderful sort of payoff at the end. I'm, nobody has, has it on, on Esther, as far as I'm concerned. No movie you could have watched during quarantine has it on Esther. 
I'm sorry, kids, Ariel, Jasmine, even Moana, have nothing on Esther. This woman's not just, she's not part of a fairy tale, though. She's actually a part of history. And honestly, in so many ways, as you start to study her life, and as we start to observe her life, you're going to discover that so much of her legacy is about life and liberty. And over the next few weeks, we're going to dive deep, and we're going to begin to observe her and see what we can learn from this Jewish orphan girl named Esther. We're even going to find, believe it or not, and as deep into the Old Testament as this book goes, we're even going to see signs and traces and shadows of Jesus in this book of Esther. Remember how I said that this book is a unique book in the Bible. It's actually only one of two books that's named after a woman. And, and in, the, in the entire Holy Bible, in the whole thing, out of 66 books. And unlike any other book, it, as I said, it's the only book that never mentions God. You'll never hear his name. You'll never hear a reference to him. And although he isn't mentioned, what you will discover is God's fingerprints and God's interwoven throughout this entire book. You say, Pastor, why would God put a, allow a book to be in his book? You all know the Bible's his book, right? Oh man, don't fall asleep on me yet. This is our first Sunday back. But if I had a book and it was all about me, if I decided to write a book all about me, I would probably probably want every section, every book inside that book, well, to be about me. I would probably put me in the book every time I got a chance. Yet God allows this book, thank you, God allows, I'm going to beg for it this morning if, if, if I need to, I will, because it's been way, way, way too long. God allows this book to be in the Bible, and we've got to ask ourselves this question. Why is this book in the Bible if it doesn't mention God? Why would God allow this? Why would God want a book in there that doesn't even talk about him? And the reason I think that God wants this book in the Bible, there were, will come moments in your life where God seems to be nowhere to be found. Moments in your life that God will seem to be, not now here, but actually nowhere to be found. And may, I know maybe some of you are here today and you're very mature and very, very grown-up Christians and you'll say, you know what? I can always sense God. Well, live a little bit longer. There's going to come moments when you're saying, hey, God, where are you? Where are you, God? God, I don't feel you. I don't sense your presence, God. I don't hear you. Where are you? I just want to sense you, God. Where are you? Are you even actually there? You ever found yourself in a position where you're sort of judging God, you know, has God ever misbehaved in your life? God, why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? God, where are you, God? God, if you're good, why does that all that bad stuff keep happening? God, why do you allow this? And God, why did you let that happen? And why did you let that person leave me? And how come that person cursed me? And why is there so much bad? God, I don't understand. Where are you, God? God, are you now here? Or are you nowhere? God, you appear to be invisible. And yet, it's this invisibleness that I think God wants us to learn through the book of Esther that he's not even mentioned in. In fact, there's a theological term that has to do with God's invisibleness. And the word is providence. Providence. Everybody say providence. Pretty good. Providence is, here's a good, a good working definition of providence. 
God's faithful activity throughout history to provide for his creation and accomplish his will. Digest that for a minute. A minute. See, God oftentimes will be in the background controlling the foreground. God will often be in the background controlling the foreground. There were, will come moments in life when it seems like God is not around, but you may, must still trust God's providence that he's in control. Remember I mentioned in a sermon, in the sermon last week, I mentioned a word, and the word was sovereign. You don't get much more churchy than a word like that, sovereign. It's used in other places in life, and I understand that, um, but it's a very churchy word. But we agreed that sovereign, that God is sovereign, and ultimately what that means is that God is in control. God is sovereign. And it should be encouraging to you as we're living in through uncertain times that God is sovereign. He's in control. He is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. And God is in control and he's with you. This, the, the phrase is not something that, 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 that comes from God. You ever know that, that, that nothing surprises God? Do you ever know that? You ever, you ever think, you know, if you could throw a surprise party for God, joke's on you. He's not up in heaven worried about what you're worried about. You know, he's not up there. You know, and I often say, you know, does it, has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? He's not worried about what you're worried about. Oh, the political climate. Oh, no, the economy. Oh, oh, God doesn't get surprised. God is sovereign. Get sovereign, and his sovereignty is all about what he wants to happen. God is in control, and his sovereignty is about what he wants to happen. He is in control, and it will happen, because he's God. Providence is all about how he makes it happen. Track with that. Providence, God, God's faithful activity throughout history to provide for his creation and accomplish his will. And I believe that Esther is in the Bible because there will come moments on your faith journey when you cannot track God, but you have to learn how to trust God. I will say that again for you note takers. There will come times on your faith journey that you cannot trace or track God, but you have to learn how to trust God. And there will come these moments in life where it, it seems like God is not on the scene. Where are you? But you have to have a firm belief that he is in the background controlling every piece of the puzzle. Even when you can't feel him, even when you still learn to have Learn to have this trust in him. Even when it appears like he's absent, rest assured, he's present. He may not be mentioned in the book of Esther, but he is all over it. And he may not be present physically in your mind or heart, but he is there in the background, controlling the foreground. He's working it out. In so many words, that God, the Bible talks about God working all things out the good who love him and put their trust in him and, and are working in his will. That's the BLT. The Burke Living Translation. God is at work. He's a providential God. He's providing for his people and many times he's found in the background. And today we kind of start to read through Esther chapter 2 and I think it's important that when we get to Esther chapter 2, give you a little background as to what happened in Esther chapter 1. 
if we flip back just a few pages, Esther chapter 1, and put this kind of in context, this is uh, what happened during the time of, y'all know the name by now, right? This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. Good. This is kind of a participation thing. I need this this morning. Who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At that time, King, you're catching on, reigned from his royal throne in the citadel, Susa. And then in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media. Now we got to kind of stop there because Xerxes, if you haven't picked it up yet, is a king. Now he's the, the king of Persia, and it's, under, it's important that you understand the timeline of history. This is probably somewhere around 480, 483 B.C. And what's taken place is, we know that, is the, the Jews, the Jewish people, they have been conquered and have been exiled to live underneath the Babylonians and the Assyrians. The Persian army and kingdom. This is where we start to read stories about like people in the Bible like Daniel on this timeline. Daniel in the lion's den. Remember that? How many remember Daniel in the lion's den? Show of hands, real quick. Even the kids, right? Yeah, Daniel in the lion's den. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they wouldn't bow to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Same time period and his graven image. And we start to read these stories. But also, right now, the book of Esther is right around the same time, uh, believe it or not, uh, of, of Nehemiah and Ezra. Those two are mentioned in the Bible, two other books of the Bible. Ezra was led out of the Persian Empire and, and went to start to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah led a group of people out of Persia to go and rebuild the walls. Remember that, that story of Nehemiah. Now what's happened is we're going to meet this character named Esther. And she stayed back. She's not gone with some of the Jews that have been uh, left, the, the remnant that they have left. Some of them have gone out and helped Ezra, Nehemiah, and all of that. But, but Esther has stayed behind. And now what's happening is, is that this king of Persia, Xerxes, is throwing a party. And we're going to read about it on the screen. The princes and the nobles of the provinces were all present. Verse 4, for a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and the glory of his majesty. Kings back then sometimes kind of like to show off a now, when these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days. He threw a party. Ain't no party like a Persian party. Because a Persian party lasted seven days. Seven days. You're halfway into the week. It's Tuesday, 9 a.m. What are you doing? We're partying. That's what they're doing. So he had this party in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people, from the least to the greatest, who were in the citadel of Susa. So I want you to see what's going on here. I want you to see that King Xerxes is in charge. He's leading. The Persian Empire is a world-dominating power. I mean, they're in charge of everything. And Xerxes is the most powerful man in the world at this point. He has a wife. She's the queen. Her name is Vashti. And the scripture says for 180 days, he displays all of his power and all of his majesty. And to end those 180 days, he caps it off with this, this seven-day rager party. I mean, you could probably hear, I mean, you, this party, if you were walking by the, the castle, 
you may have seen, you know, you don't know. But this seventh day, and as we read about it in, in this week in Esther chapter 1, this rager, I mean, it goes into detail. This is real opulence on display. It goes into detail that everybody was drinking, and not one person who was at this party had a golden goblet that looked like the other person. Like golden goblets and, and details and opulence and wealth. And the scripture says that Xerxes had a rule. If you were thirsty, you could drink as much as you wanted. So there were no like, I don't know what they had back then. Breathalyzer kind of pull you over, DUI things. He was letting all the rules down. Drink and be merry. Everybody go do your thing. They're on the seventh day of the party in Esther chapter 1. And Xerxes, the scripture says... His spirits are high on wine. He calls for Vashti, his wife, to come into the party. Now, the scripture tells us that Vashti is throwing her own party with her own friends. And I'll save it for a marriage sermon, but a little bit of a marriage advice. When you don't party together, things tend to break. They're throwing their own parties. He calls Vashti. He says, girl, get up here. Throwing a party. I want everybody to see you the queen. I want want people to see you. And she goes, no. No. Come on up to my party. It's probably better than your party. And I got all the goblets and the whole thing. Come on up. And she's like, no, I'm not coming. So Xerxes simply gets mad. And, And what do guys do when they get mad at their girl? They don't talk right to the girl, right? They talk to their buddies. So he gets the advice of his buddies. He goes, hey, this is a big deal. This girl, she won't come up here. So what do you think I should do? Now, remember, it says that the man is drunk on wine at a seven-day party. This is a real big problem, he says. He goes, well, well, the, the advisors are going, King, this is a huge problem. And the king says, what's the problem? They said, well, this isn't just a problem for you. It's a problem for us. He goes, how do you figure? Well, they, if Vashti, the queen, sets this example that she can disobey you, well, then our wives can disobey us. And they said, we have an idea. Let's do this. Let's set a decree that Vashti can never come back into your presence again. But let's take it a step further. Let's make sure that every Persian wife knows that she has to obey her Persian husband. And all the men, you better not say it. Xerxes is like, sounds like a good idea. I've been drinking for seven days. Why don't I make a huge relationship decision right now? So he banishes her and puts this rule in the land that every woman must obey her husband. And and out of that, as we get into Esther chapter 2, what we find out is that these advisors have come back with another plan. And they say, how about this? Let's not stop there. Let's throw the biggest beauty pageant the world has ever seen, and let's go and find you a brand new queen. I'm telling you, I can't make this stuff up. And would you believe it? Out of every woman living in that time, they found a Jewish girl. Her name is Esther. They didn't even know she was Jewish. She's an orphan. Both of her parents are dead. And she is selected because of favor, hear this, on her life. And she steps out of the lowest social class in history and steps in as a super world power queen all because of what I've called a God opportunity. One of the most critical things that you've got to learn how to do as a believer, you have to learn how to differentiate between God opportunities and good opportunities. 
In fact, not every opportunity is the right opportunity. Not every open door is one that you should walk through. We live in a world now that, that things are, if it's quick and immediate and fast and seems certain, it must be good, it must be the right thing. Not necessarily. In fact, today, I want to help you a little bit because I believe that opportunity is going to knock for some that are in this room. But I believe that from Esther chapter 1 and verse 2, that we can, we can learn how to differentiate between good opportunities and God opportunities. I want to give you a few basic thoughts before we wrap it up that I saw in the text. And if you're a note taker, you know, now's the chance. You might want to write this down, but if you're not much of a note taker, write it down anyway. God opportunities are often disguised as obstacles. They're disguised as obstacles. And, and it's important that we understand this. I've discovered over the, the course of my own life, over and over again, it's so often the God opportunities that God provides for me, they come wrapped in the form of some kind of an obstacle. And what we see in Esther's life, you know, it's fun to talk about Esther becoming queen. And those of you that have seen the Veggie Tales, Esther, story of Esther, right? Show of hands, anyone? Veggie Tales? Yeah. Right. So you've seen that. And Esther becomes queen. And it's fun to talk about Esther becoming a big deal. But don't miss the facts. Esther was an orphan. Both of her parents died. Talk about a setback or an obstacle. Talk about pain. Talk about a heartache. And not just that, she was a slave girl living in another land, operating and living in a heathen kingdom, this woman of God. She had obstacles. She had, there were things that, she just starts her journey off being an orphan slave girl living in a foreign land. So often what happens to us in life is so many of us are focused on what already happened that we miss out on what could happen. We focus on those those setbacks. We focus on, well, I'm not that type, and I never, and I couldn't, and I, we don't focus on what could happen. We're fixated on the challenges that await us, but every God opportunity is going to come laced with obstacles. Why are you surprised that as you step out in faith in something that God has called you to, why are you surprised that there's a headwind when you when you step out? It's important that we see this because over and over again, we learn as believers that, that our mission has to be bigger than our sorrows. Let me say that again. Our mission has to be bigger than our sorrows. Esther was provided an opportunity because of favor, because God said, you know what? This is, this is how we're, we're going to do this, Esther. And he was working in the background all the things that were happening in the foreground. His providence. Every one of your deficiencies should not, not stop you from being, from being efficient for God. It doesn't hold you back. When opportunity knocks, many in this room are going to be too busy. We'll hear, we, we complain about the noise. Oh, my! Uh, you don't understand. My spouse, uh, I could never do that because I, they just hold me back. I'm always overlooked. Uh, I, I never get the chance to. Or I've been working the same job for years. I never get promoted. And everything that co that's coming out of your mouth, and, and hear me on this, and, and hear my heart on this, and what I am saying and what I'm not saying, everything that comes out of our mouths a lot of times is designing our future that we'll currently and continue to live in because we don't understand that when God provides an opportunity, oftentimes he disguises it as an obstacle. And the question is, can you handle the obstacle? 
can you handle the obstacle? Remember, remember a little movie? I think it was in the 70s. My, my parents told me about it. I wasn't around then much. Remember a movie in the 70s called Jaws? Just a little movie, you know? Jaws, remember Jaws? Jaws is about a shark, if you didn't know. The movie Jaws is about a shark. And they had this big, huge, mechanical shark. And on several occasions when they started to shoot this movie, remember the shark was kind of the main character when they started shooting this movie. And it was a big, huge, Jaws was about a shark. And they started to shoot, and several times the shark malfunctioned and broke and sank to the bottom of the ocean. A bit of an obstacle. I would think the movie's over. I mean, the whole movie is about a shark. But Steven Spielberg, he steps back from the scene, and he went back to the drawing board and said, maybe there's an opportunity here. It seems like a setback. It seems like the biggest obstacle there is because the movie's about a doggone shark, and now it's at the bottom of the ocean. He said, maybe there's an opportunity. And some of you guys, you, you went through real pain this year. Up until just recently, you've, you've, you've gone through some real pain. You've gone through some real, real anguish. But you'll, if you'll stop and take a pause, you can discover a purpose in your pain. Spielberg went back to the drawing board, and they said, well, no, maybe there's something more to this whole no shark thing. And he said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. But remember, this, it, Steven Spielberg was nobody when he was doing this little movie called Jaws. He sees this setback, and he says, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to create curiosity, and we're going to create fear in the audience by using sound design and only giving glimpses of the shark. The movie Jaws went on to be, be one of the biggest movies of all time, and it actually set up Steven Spielberg's career. Not only that, but in film schools today, people study his technique and his art form. It was one of the greatest opportunities ever provided to him, but it began with a massive obstacle. Esther has huge obstacles, but she had to, to decide in her life, I'm not going to sit here and complain about my situation. I'm not going to complain about the noise. I'm going to get to work. Thomas Edison is credited with this. He said, so many people miss opportunities because when opportunities show up, they're dressed in overalls and they look like work. No one said that this faith journey is going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm telling you that there's some knocking on the doors in your life, and there are God opportunities awaiting you. And some of us, we spend so, many, so much time complaining about the obstacles. There's obstacles. You say, Pastor, there's obstacles in my, my relationships. There's obstacles in my marriage. Let me promise you one thing. That if Every obstacle, if you keep this in mind, every obstacle in your marriage, I promise you, is actually an opportunity for you to go to a deeper level of intimacy with your spouse. And I think that deserves an amen. I'm going to ask for them if you're not going to give them. Every obstacle in your, your leadership is an, is an opportunity for you to get step into to, to promotion. You, you ever see come across something at your job or with your family, and you say, this is an obstacle, and you come out on the other side of it rewarded because of you saw your way through it? <laughs> God is knocking on some of the doors of your life, ready to provide you with an opportunity. 
and it might come in the form of an obstacle. Number two, God opportunities are delivered by people. God opportunities are delivered through people. 99% of the time when God provides you with an opportunity, he will bring that opportunity through a person. Make no mistake about it, every opportunity is sent by God. James says that he is the father of good gifts. So God is the sender, but when God sends people a gift and when God sends people an opportunity, more often than not, he will deliver the opportunity in form of a person. Look at Esther's story. She goes from being an orphan girl in the streets to becoming queen of Persia. How did that happen? Because Xerxes chose her. God was sending the opportunity, but Xerxes delivered the opportunity. You ever order something on Amazon? How many people have had Amazon packages show up to their house daily? <laughs> Y'all were all in. How many Amazon packages daily? And some people kept their hand up. I almost can't help myself sometimes. I didn't know I needed that. You ask somebody, you have one of these? They go, I do now. <laughs> you wanted the product, but Amazon was the delivery, right? What, what difference does it make how it gets to your house? Amazon is the delivery agent or UPS or the USPS or whatever gets it to your house. The opportunity is provided and God sends the opportunity. Here's the opportunity God wants you to have. And regardless of how it gets to you, because of favor and God's blessing, it will get to you. So how did she become queen? Well, because Xerxes chose her. God was sending the opportunity, and Xerxes delivered the opportunity. So in, in the church of Jesus Christ, so often we're really good a lot of times at burning bridges, right? But we have been, been forgiven so much, we should be the best people on the planet for building bridges, not with those that just believe and think like us, but even those that are far from God. We have a message to deliver to that one that's far from God. So that when, and, and to put it all together, that one that's far from God, God uses us to, to deliver his message. And God will often use secular kings, secular ways to deliver his message to those who need it. I will not go as far as to say that God causes bad things to happen, but God allows certain things to happen in your life so that you will get the message that he intends to give you. Esther, Xerxes delivers this opportunity, and it's actually her cousin Mordecai. Mordecai will counsel her and advise her over and over and over again. As he does, opportunities continue to flow, what am I trying to say? I want to get this in your spirit today, that oftentimes alignment is more important than assignment. So who do you align yourself with? How, who do you align yourself with? Alignment is more important than assignment. And, and, and hear me on this, because who you have yourself aligned with determines how that message from God is going to get to you. Who have you positioned in your life. Look around and think about your friends. Give me your phone for a little while and I'll tell you if you're hearing from God or not. But God will often use people that are far from him to get a message to you because he's trying to speak to you. Esther had a, had a 
had a had favor on her life from God. And God used a secular king to get that message across. The third thing and last thing I see from Esther is this. God opportunities widen for those who patiently prepare. And here's what I mean by that. We talked a few weeks ago about patience. This is the one where I get kind of excited about it, and I apologize if you're not part of this church, but it's just this kind of stuff right here that gets me pretty fired up. And it's wild because one of the biggest mistakes that we make as believers when we read the Bible is we think that the Bible occurs at the same time rate, at the same rate of speed as it takes for us to read it, right? So we read through chapters of the Bible. We think, okay, we went from from Esther chapter 1, and if you read Esther chapter 1, like really sit down and read it, it might take you five minutes, eight minutes to read the whole thing. And then you just casually flip over to Esther chapter 2. Well, if you read it, real life is not a fairy tale. Real life doesn't happen in the turn of a page. Real life is not an hour and 20 minutes with a great plot, some twists and turns, a climax, and a resolution. That's not real life. Real life in full, uh, unfolds. There's a process to it, and it requires patience. We know that in Esther chapter 1, it was the third year of King Xerxes' reign. But in Esther chapter 2, what happens is that we read it this way, that she was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, in the month of Tebeth, in the 7th year of his reign. So three years to seven years, four years from Esther chapter 1 to Esther chapter 2. Four years. And the king had to have this time. They put on this thing, this party and the beauty pageant, and now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins, so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Uh-oh. That's a problem. Well, for Vashti, anyway. So it's been four years since Xerxes has gotten upset with Vashti. It's been four years since they started this big beauty pageant. And not only has it been four years, when Esther was brought into the harem to be under the power and control and leadership of this Haggai, she had to take a full year of preparation before she even met Xerxes. That's a lot of spa treatments. That's a lot of manicures. That's a lot of preparation before she even met the king. And some of you have this, this God opportunity or God dream that's been in your heart for a long time. God's revealed something to you. And at the very basics of it, maybe even not an opportunity, but God is actually calling you. Not for a purpose, not for a plan specifically that you know about, but God is calling you to even know him. And you say, you know what, I, I, I knew last year I, I, I read something or I came to church or I responded. To, I just, and, and since then, I really haven't done anything toward God or even cared about it or even maybe, maybe what happened back then, maybe it was at a camp meeting, maybe it was in a service like this, maybe it was something you read in the scriptures, but you look at it and you say, you know what, it's been two, 12 months Maybe it wasn't even real. Maybe it wasn't even a real thing that I heard. Maybe it was a, wasn't even, maybe it didn't take. Maybe that thing that I responded to, that message that I heard, I knew God was calling me and I said, yes, Lord. But maybe it really, really just wasn't even real. Don't you know that the bigger the promise, the more time we often have to wait? 
Time doesn't disqualify the promise that God made to you. Time validates the promise. Learning patience, I know, I know, what a drag. Don't tell me about patience as a virtue. I get it. Your ability to wait for what God has for you matters. Patience, though, is not just the ability to wait. If I said define patience for me, patience is not, patience is not just the ability to wait. In my mind, patience, patience is the ability to wait with the right attitude. Because you're going to wait one way or the other. The question is, will you be patient while you wait? In all seasons, whether you're prospering, whether you're in lack, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, some of you in 2020 are going to be radical for Jesus. Some of you are going to say yes to God, and you're saying, God, make me patient. Pay careful what you ask for, because the only way that he can make you patient is that he has to test you and make you wait. So get ready for traffic. God, make me patient. Oh, get ready. Life is full of traffic, and how you wait in life's tra- traffic will, be, will determine the level of opportunity that you can actually handle that God gives you. Will you be ready for a God opportunity? It's okay if you've been waiting. It's okay if you've put it off until now. But don't wait another moment. I put this in the notes and hear me. We'll close with this. While you're in this waiting period, like Esther had to go through that whole time and she's waiting and she's being prepped and the spa treatments, and the the good food is what it says. She's being prepped for such a time as this, right? That's the line in Esther that we're all familiar with. For such a time as this. Esther was going through one year before she even met the king. And she's already living during this time. She's already doing what God is preparing her for. And we should be living like God is already doing what we're waiting for. Living like, and, and hear me, living like God is already doing what you're waiting for. You should be living and behaving like you already have it. Some of y'all are like this. Well, you know, once I find that special someone, once I get married, I will have peace in my life. No, you won't. Once I get confidence, once they promote me at work, I'll, I'll have I'll have some some confidence. No, you won't. I'll live on mission once I graduate from college. Once I get through this period, I'm going to live on mission. No, you won't. I'll speak with I'll speak faith once I get my miracle. That's the opposite of faith. No, you won't. You should be living like God is already doing what you're waiting for. And that's not a name it and claim it. That's not anything like that. Don't go there. Send me emails or anything like that. But if you're waiting and you say, God, I need more faith, live like you have that faith. If you stay ready, you won't have to get ready. You ever had an appointment with someone that was picking you up for somewhere and they knock on your door and, and you were ready to go when they got there? That's such a relief. Because
Because how often are we on the other end of that when we are the punctual one, right? And I know most of you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people you know. We're the punctual ones. We show up. We're ready to go pick somebody up to go somewhere, and we show up at their house, and we're kind of like, well, we're texting, no response. Beep the horn, maybe nothing. You go to the door, no answer. Peek in, maybe you're good friends, family, okay? They're, and they're not even packed. You're ready to pick them up to go to the airport, and they're not even packed. If you stay ready, you won't have to get ready. Walk in faith so that God, when God wants to provide that opportunity for you, you're ready. We look at the life of Esther. And we see God's favor. We see God preparing a way for this woman, this Jewish orphan woman living in a foreign land. And yet she becomes queen. Because that was God's destiny for her life. Some of you, I know you're, 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 we're all thankful to be back in the sanctuary worshiping. We're back to be, we're glad to be back in church. And, and I don't know about you. Randy, you can come up anytime. We're going to close here in a minute. I don't know about you. Skip that one. But it kind of feels like 2020 kind of got started. And then someone kind of hit the pause button on 2020. How many of you were like at the end of March going, where'd March go? What What do you mean it's May? It, what? It kind of has this feeling of a restart to me. It, it, does anybody else feel that? This gradual sort of getting to different phases and following that along has been kind of weird. But now that we're all gathered together in this place and we can look to our left and our right and see everyone's smiling faces, it kind of has the feeling to me like we've been given an opportunity to restart in 2020. We're restarting the year almost. It's sort of like, all right, 2020 happened, and we said, yeah, Happy New Year, and a couple months went by, and then all of a sudden, we were shut down. Hang on. There's this comma. January, February, into March, hold on. April, May, June, bang, restart again. And this is our opportunity to get get in favor with God, to get God to say, you know what, God, if we say to God, we say, God, I know I promised, you ever, you ever make a New Year's resolution? God, I know I said some things back in 2019 or even the beginning of 2020, but I'm thankful, God, for this sort of restart of our hearts. We're starting the year over again, and we're saying, God, you know what? We're going to do some things even though we don't feel like it. We're going to live. We're going to pray even though we don't feel like it because we believe that on the other side of our prayers, God, is an opportunity. And I know in, 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 in this restart, if you will, and churches are starting to open again like, like ours did, 
You'll make a conscious effort this year, this restart of 2020, to get to church every week. You'll make a conscious effort to pray more, to read God's word more. And I promise you, if you do that, if you make that commitment now, God will see that. And if you compare it to the life of Esther, she was getting prepared for God's favor in her life, for God to do something in her life. And if you will prepare yourselves, we'll be able to see God work in our life. One benefit that I have learned, and I hope you have too, during this whole pandemic time, is that I will not, I will not take things for granted anymore. There were a lot of things that we just kind of automatically thought were going to happen. And that's that phrase, taking it for granted. I cherish my family like never before. I take them for granted. I cherish the relationships in my life. I will cherish and not take for granted the blessing it is to be a part of a family of God like this. I will not treat my privilege to come and hear from the word and praise and grow I will not treat that privilege lightly. You know the phrase, you don't know what you got till it's gone? I'm not wasting one moment of making memories. I'm not wasting one moment of celebration. I'm not wasting one moment to say thank you. I'm not going to waste one moment to give an encouragement. I won't waste any successes or failures along my journey. I'm not going to waste mistakes that I've made. I'm going to learn from them. I'm not going to waste any deficiencies. I'm not going to waste any of my pain. I'm not going to waste any of my hurt up until now. I'm going to surrender it all to God, and I'm going to live today like he's already doing what I'm waiting for. you got to love Esther. She started living like a queen before she became the queen. Esther said, I don't need a crown on my head to remind me that I'm a child of God. She says, I have a purpose and a destiny and I will patiently prepare because, because she says, I believe that I'm here for such a time as this. It is no accident. I say it all the time and I mean it more than I've ever meant it. It is no accident that you're here this morning. It's no accident that you're listening and, and watching online this morning. God has something for you in 2020. Life may have been put on pause for a little while, but God is calling out to you this morning and wanting you to restart life with Him. Not on your own, in your own hopelessness, in your own, all this stuff. He wants you to restart, and that's what it feels like to me. I don't know. It just feels like this restart, like we've been given a second chance. Like this pandemic came in, and, and I'll tell you, in the very beginning, it looked like it had the opportunity, or, or at least it could have, wiped out the world. They were talking about this thing is unlike anything we've ever seen and all of this, and then we've learned things since then. I get that, but we've been given a second chance. 
And it really feels that way. That we've been given another chance. Would you stand this morning? I appreciate your all's patience. It's been too long. I know it went a little bit over, but my goodness, three months. <laughs> Thank you for your grace. Would you bow your heads this morning and we'll wrap this up for this week. But I don't want to leave here without giving you an opportunity to respond to this reset that seems to be right in front of us. So as we go to the Lord in prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, we want to seek the Holy Spirit and what he's up to in this place today. Father, in your presence this morning, reading your word and seeing that God, the one book in your Bible that never mentions you by name, is one of the most profound expositions of who you are in an individual's life without even mentioning your name. God, you have been working behind the scenes in this woman Esther's life. And your providence, Lord, the way you got it done is mind-boggling. And God, how many of us that are gathered here or watching online this morning can relate to that fact that, Lord, everything that has happened to us up until this point in our lives, you've provided a way, providence, you've provided a way for us to be gathered together at this point at this time, for such a time as this in history, to respond to your calling out to us. God, that's where it begins. That's where your providence begins. Keeping us, Lord, safe and healthy and able to be here in your presence. And God, you are giving us this restart and knowing all of the providence, all of the opportunity that was given to us up until this point. And now, Lord, it is time for us to respond to how you're calling us in 2020, right now, today. The very fact, Lord, the realization that you are sovereign and you have seen us through trial and tribulation, Lord. And God, somehow you've brought us to, th brought us to this point where we, we have the opportunity, Lord, to continue, to get a restart, to continue our life walking with you closer than we ever had before, or maybe for the first time. And so, Lord, as we seek you and your providential ways and your face, Lord, and what you would have for us, I wonder, Lord, if there's one in this room one watching online that would not go another day without responding to the call of you, from you on their life. I'll give you that opportunity now, church, with heads bowed and eyes closed in the presence of God and in the spirit of prayer this morning. If you need to start a relationship or restart a relationship with your Savior, and never walk alone again. I don't know how God has worked it out in your life for you to be here this morning, but he has. 
He has provided a way for you to be here. And he's calling to you now and saying, don't live another day. You're not promised tomorrow, first of all, but don't live another day without a relationship with me. If God is calling out to you this morning, no one's looking around, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to live for him. He'll hold you to that and he'll help you through that. If there's anybody online, just leave a note down in the comments, however you want to respond respond and say, Pastor, that's me. I've been too far for too long. I know that I've been given another chance. None of us are promised tomorrow. I've been given another chance and I'm going to walk with him. Say, Pastor, that's me right here. God, you know the hearts and minds of the people that have gathered. And I pray, Lord, that as we depart from this place, we would not depart from your presence. God, it's good to be in your house. I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, Lord, safely, you would be with each one of us as we go back and contemplate the words that have been translated by the Holy Spirit that we heard this morning. And that, God, we would not be the same as when we came in. We give you the glory, God. We give you the praise. Change us now, Lord God. Provide opportunities for us. Help us to live, Lord, differently than the world lives with a hope and a promise that you are sovereign and in control. We give you the praise and the glory, Lord, for you deserve it. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. And everyone said amen. amen. God bless you all.